Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Washington, D.C. contains shrines and memorials to our nation's founders and great leaders, such as Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln. Painted on the ceiling of the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol building, 180 feet above the rotunda floor, is a scene of a man being lifted up on the clouds into the company of gods and goddesses, such as Minerva, Neptune, Venus, and Mercury. It is called the Apotheosis of George Washington. Painted in 1865 by Constantino Brumidi, the painting depicts George Washington rising to the heavens in glory, flanked by female figures representing liberty and victory, a rainbow arches at his feet, and 13 maidens symbolizing the original states flank the three central figures. Apotheosis means deification, the elevation of someone to divine status. We would not agree with the extreme that this painting goes to in lifting up George Washington, and fortunately our cultural history does not deify him. But this reminds us how mankind does have a tendency to exalt our great men and women to the status that belongs to God alone. Paul and Barnabas experienced being lifted up as gods in Lystra, but it is inspiring to see their firm denial of it and how they pointed the people to the one true and living God. Acts 14, 8-10 reads, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Leaving the city of Iconium after nearly being stoned there, Paul and Barnabas traveled around 20 miles south to go to Lystra. According to verses 6 and 7 of this chapter, we see that after arriving in Lystra, they preached the gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. Typically, Paul would first go to the Jewish synagogue in a new city, but nothing is said about this in Lystra. This teaches that there were not enough Jews in the city to warrant having a synagogue. There were Jews in Lystra, however. Timothy hailed from Lystra, and Acts 16.1 tells us that his mother, Eunice, was a Jewess. As Paul proclaimed the gospel in Lystra, he did some open-air preaching, probably in the public marketplace. And as he did so, he took notice of one of his hearers. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Now, Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, could have simply said that the man was lame, but instead he goes into detail. In Luke's threefold description and sad description of the man is meant to emphasize his helplessness and hopelessness. It's meant to make your heart go out to the man. He was without strength in his feet. He had been crippled since he was born. 
and he had never walked a blessing that he saw others do every day, but had never done himself. Verse 9 states that the same heard Paul speak. He listened intently and with interest as Paul spoke and preached the gospel in Lystra. And the idea of this phrase is that he kept coming back. He rarely heard Paul speak. You can almost feel him, his hope and him hanging on Paul's every word. Out of the dozens that it might have been in the crowd, this man caught Paul's attention. In verse 9 states of Paul, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Paul observed him intently, and by the Holy Spirit, Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. Paul could see could see it in this man that he had faith that God through his servant could heal him and make him whole. And his faith was the result of the proclamation of the word of God by Paul. For Paul states in Romans 10, 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what this man heard from Paul, from God's word about God, he believed and he had faith to be healed. In response to that faith, Paul, an apostle with the gift of healing and the power of the Spirit, said, he said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And the faith that Paul perceived was then made plain to all by the fact that when Paul said, stand up, the man didn't question the possibility of it. He truly believed that God could heal him through Paul, and thus he immediately obeyed Paul's command. And the miracle was total and instantaneous. And for the first time in this man's life, he leaped and he walked. Now, when you remain in the same position for a long time, getting up requires some effort. And you usually get up with stiffness and your muscles and joints groaning as you do and your bones are cracking and creaking and then you limp for a little bit. This man had been in the same position his whole life. But when Paul said, stand up, he leaped up and he walked around and there wasn't any limp. He was completely restored. And as he leaped and jumped, we can only imagine his joy and excitement. And the blessing of walking for the very first time had to be indescribable for him. Charles Spurgeon once said, This lame man represents the impotency of all men in spiritual things till the grace of God put strength into them. From our mother's womb, we each are spiritually impotent and without strength and unable to save ourselves or make make ourselves whole spiritually. We need the grace of God. And as Romans 5, 6 states, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Like this lame man, We are helpless and hopeless outside of Christ. But in our great need, Christ fixed his eyes on each of us. And out of his infinite love, he came to this world and he died for our sins and he rose again. And when we trust him, he makes us whole. And spiritually speaking, he tells us to stand up and walk. And when we trust him, we leap up for joy and we walk and we move forward for him. The healing of this lame man is significant. We are meant by the Holy Spirit to recognize the parallel 
an almost identical record of the healing of this crippled man and the healing of the lame man by Peter earlier in Acts chapter 3. Luke uses similar terms, phrases, and imagery which makes the connection unmistakable. The man at the beautiful gate in Jerusalem was lame from his mother's womb, just like this man here in Lystra who was a cripple from his mother's womb. Before the lame man was healed in both accounts, we read how Peter fastened his eyes upon him. And it says here that Paul was steadfastly beholding him. After Peter healed the lame man in Jerusalem, Acts 3 says, And he, leaping up, stood and walked. After Paul healed the lame man in Lystra, he leaped and walked. And after the miracle, it had a great effect on the multitudes in both Jerusalem and Lystra. The record of Acts is about the fall and diminishing of Israel. Thus you see how it starts with Peter, but it ends with Paul. It begins with Peter ministering to Israel in Jerusalem and offering the kingdom to her. But after Stephen's stoning in Israel's fall, we see how it turns to the nations and ends with the ministry of Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, and it ends in far-off Rome. The record shows that what Peter could do as the leader of the twelve apostles of the kingdom in God's program with Israel, Paul could now do the same as the apostle that God raised up for this new dispensation of grace in his new program with the Gentiles. Acts vindicates Paul's apostleship. Peter was an apostle without question. But this man, Paul, who came later, after Christ's resurrection and ascension, his apostleship and authority was in question and was constantly challenged. But the book of Acts leaves no doubt as to Paul being an apostle. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, Go to BereanBibleSociety.org. 2 Corinthians is a hardcover, 240-page verse-by-verse commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm. It is interesting, indeed, to note how many profound doctrines are discussed in 2 Corinthians, in contrast to all the rebukes, corrections, and instructions found in 1 Corinthians. Two of the greatest of these are the New Covenant and the Doctrine of Reconciliation. May its truths have their God-appointed effect on our lives. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, the Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Acts 14, 11, 13 reads, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, 
brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people. Undoubtedly, the lame man was well known in Lystra, and it was an amazing thing to have this man who never walked a step suddenly leaping and walking around the streets of Lystra. After God performed this spectacular miracle through Paul, and the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. The miraculous healing of the lame man convinced them that supernatural power was at work in their city. And that was true. But not knowing the true and the living God, they logically supposed that the miracle was due to their false gods. So they said that Barnabas was Jupiter and Paul was Mercury. In the original Greek, the gods are said to be Zeus and Hermes. One is Roman and the other is Greek. In their polytheistic belief system, Jupiter of the Romans was equivalent to Zeus of the Greeks, and Mercury of the Romans was equivalent to Hermes of the Greeks. Jupiter, or Zeus, was the king of the gods. Mercury, or Hermes, was the messenger of the gods. You see Mercury displayed in flower shop windows which bear the FTD label. He has wings on his helmet and his feet, because he was the speedy messenger of the gods. Barnabas must have had an air of authority about him because they regarded him as Jupiter or Zeus, and Paul was regarded as Mercury or Hermes, since Paul was the chief speaker and the more talkative one as he proclaimed the gospel. It made sense to those in Lystra that he was Hermes. But you see the devil at work here again in the book of Acts. You find satanic counterfeit incarnation in their beliefs in Lystra. Satan often counterfeits the truth of God to deceive, because the true God did come down to us from heaven, and God's Son did come in the likeness of men. And here in a satanic, polytheistic, pagan belief system, they believe that their false gods could come down in the likeness of men. Satan does anything and everything to keep people from faith in Christ, even copying the idea of incarnation and deceptively weaving it in and applying it to idolatry. Because the people were speaking in the Lyconian language, neither Paul nor Barnabas comprehended what was going on at first, or that that they were declaring them to be gods. After declaring them to be gods, The priest of Jupiter got to work, because after all, if Jupiter had come to earth in the form of this preacher, he had work to do in leading the people in worship of him. Verse 13 gives a detail about the the makeup and layout of ancient Lystra, that Jupiter was before the city. This means that a temple for Jupiter stood in front of the gateway of their city. The priests started making preparations to make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas and to celebrate the presence of the deities that were among them. Two oxen were brought to the temple, one for each of the gods. Decorative garlands of flowers were placed on the horns of the oxen and on the idols at the place of sacrifice. Acts 14, 14-18 read, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, 
and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. When Paul and Barnabas finally heard and understood that the priest of Jupiter had brought oxen and garlands to the city gates, intending to make a sacrifice to them, they realized that things had gone too far. Paul and Barnabas were not flattered by the praise and adulation of this city. Instead, they were deeply horrified by them declaring them to be gods. This account is in contrast to Herod Agrippa I, a couple chapters earlier, who accepted worship by the people as a god and did not give God the glory. As a result, he was eaten of worms and he died. Here, Paul and Barnabas fiercely refused worship as gods, and this led them first to rent their clothes. Paul and Barnabas were both Jewish men, and this was an instinctively instinctively emotional Jewish reaction and a public expression of protest, sorrow, and revulsion at blasphemy. Determined to put a stop to the sacrifice, they didn't respond to it from a distance. Instead, they fearlessly ran in among the people and among the frenzied crowd and passionately cried out, Why are you doing these things? We also are of men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless, lifeless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and all things that are in them. Far from seeking their worship, Paul stated firmly and insisted that we're not gods. He's saying, men, we're just men. They were mortal men with the same human nature as them. They were not divine. They were human beings just like they were. Paul told them that they had come to Lystra to preach that they should turn from their useless and empty idolatry, meaning that Jupiter, the king of the gods, and Mercury, the messenger of the gods, they're not real. They're imaginary, fictional, and they're fake. Paul stated that he came to them that they should turn from what is fake to what is true and what is real. The living God, the one who created the universe, their idolatry was wrong. And God was not merely to be added to their beliefs about many gods. Rather, Paul called on them to turn from their error and their false beliefs altogether and to turn to what is true and what is right. This account begins with the impotence of the lame man and God's power over it in healing the man. And here Paul points out and contrasts the impotence, the powerlessness of idolatry with the omnipotence and power of the living God who created all things the heaven, the earth, the sea, and how he has filled them all with life, beauty, design, and detail. Verses 16 to 17 says of the living God that he in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness 
and that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Charles Swindoll insightfully says of these verses, Paul and Barnabas continued with an answer to the obvious question. If this God is the one and only Creator, then why haven't we heard of Him before now? Paul and Barnabas said that the nations had been allowed to go their own ways, but that God had revealed Himself by way of nature's bounty. All have evidence of the existence of the living God in creation and by His providence. It is He who in His goodness lovingly provides rain and fruitful seasons, which gives us the food that fills our hearts with the gladness that comes from the provision and the enjoyment of food. Paul states, in times past, all nations were allowed to go their own ways with their beliefs. But now he was calling them to turn from their vanities and idolatry to the living God. This passage gives strong testimony to the fact that following Israel's fall, now God had begun a work among the Gentiles through Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. All the while, we see here in times past, God had bore witness to the Gentiles of His eternal power and Godhead in creation. But now God was turning to the Gentiles to give all nations the opportunity to turn to Him and be saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. Acts 14, 19-20 reads, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Unbelieving Jews from the two places where Paul had just ministered, Antioch and Iconium, came to Lystra and then incited a riot against Paul. The length of the journey showed their hate-filled zeal as they were willing to trek 85 miles from Antioch to Iconium and then about 20 miles from Iconium to Lystra. These Jews were so stirred against Paul and the gospel of grace, that they were willing to travel these many miles so they might have the opportunity to kill Paul. Arriving in Lystra, the Jews persuaded the people, and the Gentiles of Lystra were quickly swayed and willingly followed their lead. In an act of mob violence, the crowd of Jews and Gentiles then caught Paul and stoned him, an act which Paul recorded in 2 Corinthians 11.25 when he wrote, Once I was stoned. Now stop and think about how brutal this had to have been for Paul to stand before this angry crowd as rocks were hurled at him as hard as they could throw them. Rocks pummeled him all over his body causing severe pain, deep bruises, cutting and tearing his flesh, resulting in bleeding, being hit in the head and dazed until finally he was knocked unconscious. These rocks were thrown by some of the same people who hailed him as a god, but their desire to sacrifice to him turned into a desire to stone him very quickly. One minute, 
Paul was a god to be worshipped. The next minute, he was a criminal to be slain. And that reminds you of the Lord. Similar to Lystra, when our Lord entered into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, the people cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Days later, some of the same people were saying, Away with him, crucify him, crucify him. After being knocked unconscious, Paul was drug out of the city. His would-be executioners supposing he had been dead. Personally, I don't think Paul died. The word supposing usually means to suppose something that is not true, to think, to deem, to regard. There are examples of this in Acts, such as the Philippian jailer after the earthquake, supposing that the prisoners had been fled when they had not. Some also equate this event with Paul's third heaven experience in 2 Corinthians 12. But Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, too, that this took place 14 years prior to writing that letter. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians in A.D. 55. Paul was in Lystra around A.D. 47. So that third heaven experience was at least six years before Paul was in Lystra. But Paul not dying shouldn't make us think any less of what happened next. These men who stoned Paul were so wicked and heartless that they did not even consider a burial for the man they thought they had killed. They just drug him out of the city. In contrast to them, you see the broken-hearted believers standing around Paul's battered, unconscious body, which was a sign of their love for Paul. And doing that was not without risk because the mob could have decided to come after them too. But imagine these believers' shock when God miraculously restored Paul following his stoning, and he stood up, just like the layman in this account stood up. Paul stood up miraculously. And then the first thing he did was he went straight back, right back into Lystra. These unbelieving Jews had, had driven him out of Iconium, had driven him out of Antioch, and Paul was not going to let them, let them drive him out of Lystra. He was going to leave Lystra on his terms, not theirs. And you have to love that grit. Nothing daunted Paul, not even being nearly stoned to death. It's been said, and I agree, that Paul never did a braver thing than to go straight back into the city which had tried to murder him. And can you imagine the reaction of the people as he came back into the city, the same place in which he was just stoned and left for dead? His appearance surely had to indicate a miracle to the city and the mob, and this would have given him a great platform to proclaim Christ. In Philippians 4.9, Paul wrote those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul's example here of fortitude and determination for the cause of Christ that we learn of and we see here in Acts 14, that is an example for each of us to emulate and follow in our lives and ministries. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.